Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey, everybody. We are back for another week of Yolitics. Jason and Jason here. Thanks, as always, for uh, having a listen to us. Uh, Whiteley, uh, you're finally back from vacation, and I saw these pictures uh, of you, and I thought, man, this guy is just... You know, I can't believe you're even back on the podcast with me. I just figured that, you know, you've blown up so big. You're rubbing elbows there at the White House, inside the White House, in the places where regular people don't usually get to go. I, I told them you sent your regards from uh, from from Texas and they said <laughs> and they said Jason, Jason who? who we who? only know a we only know a Whiteley from there. <laughs> that was neat, man. A, a, a buddy of mine. Um, I, I've been to the White House twice. I went during the last administration once. Um, a friend of mine kind of showed me a couple things and then a buddy of mine in this administration has all kinds of access hmm. and uh, he, he took us on a, a tour of the West Wing, which was really cool to see. Uh, I've got to make better friends. You, you, you need some friends at all. I need to make, I need to make a friend. You yeah. need a friend <laughs> besides me. With that. I mean, and, and that's questionable <laughs> because we have to work together. So, you know, I'm excited about this podcast because um, a few weeks ago, I asked Mrs. Wheeler if she'd do some beer shopping for me since she just happens to throw things in the fridge for you all the time. Wow, I, I didn't know you guys communicated like I, yeah, that. We're, okay. uh, we have a back-channel communication. I gave her my <laughs> credit card number, the, the company credit card number, the Yaltix. Oh, good, I'll card. have to get that from her. And she has the Yaltix corporate card, and she starts going out and, and, and buying things. So the, the, first, uh, the first drink she provided is... Um, is Texas strawberry, of course. You know, everyone ah, in the Wheeler household. There we go. You, we you, like you our all, fruits and vegetables here. All you here. guys drink uh, fruit beers, right? I bet you're going to like this and get hooked, and then you'll uh, you'll be on board fully. That sounds good, actually. I, I wish I was drinking what you're drinking. It's made with um, strawberries from Poteet, Texas. Have you ever? I also well, Poteet, Texas. Yeah, they I, the I know you know what Poteet there. is. Tell, tell me where Poteet is. It is uh, due south. Uh, I, well, I don't want to say due south. It's south of San Antonio. I think it's about an hour. Um, as you're heading to, down toward Corpus Christi, I have actually been to the Poteet Strawberry Festival where everything you can get everything strawberry. I, you know what? My Texas geography should be better. I was going to say somewhere in East Texas. I, I didn't know they oh, no. were strawberries. No, down no, no, in, no, no. Uh, no. South Texas. Totally different place. They had, they're known for their strawberry festival, which is why huh. you've got a beer uh, that is Poteet Strawberry. Well, and, and Bishop, Bishop uh, Cider is in Dallas, I believe, right? Yeah, but they're mm-hmm. importing from down there, I guess, uh, to get that special flavor. I, I don't know if it's the sandy soil or what it is, but the strawberries grow well down there, and they grow big. Wow. How is delicious. it? It's delicious. Nice. See, you're on mm-hmm. board. I knew we would convert you eventually. Uh, you I'm having an Austin beer today from Blue Owl Brewing, um, and this one is uh, called Cool Box. It is a tart Kolsch beer. Real I figured tart. I'll try something else. Yeah. It's, did you it's go to sour. Austin? Or where did you get that? How did you get that beer? I got that in North Texas. I also took the uh, Yolitix corporate uh, credit card. Uh, and uh, yes, it will be expensed. And this was a sour mashed beer that I found. I see. I don't do a lot of tart beers. Well, you know, you, like you, gotta, you have to you have to diversify what you're drinking. <laughs> you have to open your mind. Says the guy who whitely, right? <laughs> open your mind. Says the guy who's been drinking the same thing for the past four weeks on this podcast as he cleared out the refrigerator. How is a tart Kolsch? I like Kolsch, but mm. It's tart and it's Kolsch. It is uh, good. I think that's refreshing. Wow. So, so uh, yeah, we, we might need something stronger for the conversation we're about to have. There. Yeah, it's um, this one is a hot one. Um, I mean, it's, it's perfect for, for late summer here in Texas. Um, we're talking about books. We're talking about book bans. We're talking about uh, your schools, your school boards and how things are my how things are changing. Uh, these used to be the races where, you know, you went out and you raised a thousand dollars, you campaigned door to door, you shook some hands and boom, you were an, a school board member now. Uh, well, now we're getting into the tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands uh, for some of these school board races because uh, Republicans have identified school boards as the place where they need to be. Uh, and they are going aggressively after these seats and they have had incredible success uh, so far in, in at least North Texas and, and spreading out from there. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we always say, elections have consequences. And uh, some of these new members, these very conservative members, uh, are coming in and saying, we want to review the books that are on the shelves at the kids' schools and we want to take some of those off. Yeah, and, and why school boards, right? I mean, but we've talked on this program, we've talked on, on other programs that we participate in and produce 
how the RNC, Tommy Hicks Jr., the co-chairman of the Republican National Committee, told us that, hey, school boards are in our crosshairs. We, want, we are going to fund candidates running for those. Uh, so people who are conservatives who are running for these races are getting lots of money, lots of actually organized support. Whereas just you just mentioned there, Jason, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, there really hasn't been a lot of organization for anyone running for those seats. But school boards and school classrooms are the latest battlefront in the culture wars. That's why yeah, they're and, going after them. And the fact of the matter is, is if you can prop up a candidate, give them, you know, ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars compared to their opponent who has raised one thousand. You can get their signs out there. You can get their buttons out there and you can get the word out there about them until they have name recognition. All you got to do is get that name recognition into enough heads because you're not going to have to get it into everybody's heads because so many people don't go all the way down the ballot or they don't even vote in a school board election. And so we have this fraction of people, and this isn't something new. This has been going for a long time. A fraction of people decide who is on your kid's school board because most people just write those races off. Yeah. So let's get to Keller ISD. Keller is a, uh, an, uh, dare I say, affluent. You live in Keller, right? Where do you live? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, you, do you just think that because of affluent? Yeah, because it's affluent. I mean, I'm looking at your Zoom that's call why, here. That's why they won't let me in. You have this gorgeous house behind you here, but but Keller <laughs> is in, in Tarrant County. Um, it is, uh, uh, I would say, an affluent place, but there just are- Just north of Fort Worth, yeah. Just, yeah, kind of, yeah, actually do north of Fort Worth, I believe. Um, Keller ISD, the independent school district there, is is where- this latest battle is being waged in the culture wars, and it, it really could have, uh, you know, wide ranging effects across this state and really might influence what happens when the state legislature returns next January. But mm-hmm. Jason, lay out for our listeners here what's happening in Keller ISD, what kind of what's been building up here lately. So, you know, just a, a quick one before we get to the guest here who's who's on the line. Um, so basically, uh, a lot of books uh, were called into question last year. You may have seen this in your child school district as well, because this has become uh, a very hot topic. Uh, Forty one books uh, were, you know, put back onto the shelves after they went through a process. There was a process like, OK, somebody has a problem with that book. Let's have this committee of diverse people who have been you know, pulled from the community here. Let's have them review the books. And they reviewed those books. Forty one of them went back onto the shelves. Well, now 41 of them have come back off of the shelves because we have a newly constituted school board uh, that was in part created by a super PAC, a conservative super PAC that won big there. And this new school board says, uh-uh, not so fast. We're going to do a new process for how we decide which books the kids are going to have access to. So uh, that's sort of the the groundwork there. And, 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 and we and have. It, yeah. And, and it's, it's all about before we get to Laney here in just a moment here. It, it, this is all about whether these books are appropriate for kids to read. Right. And we're talking about books that you've probably seen in the headlines or might have seen as you scroll through you know, Twitter or Facebook. Books like Anne Frank's Diary. Mm-hmm. The, the unabridged version of Anne Frank's diary. We're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's called the graphic, the graphic novel. And for people who aren't familiar with this, if you don't have kids who are teenagers, let's say, you hear the word graphic and you go, oh, that's why they pulled it off the shelf because it has graphic stuff in it or it has graphic images in it. A yeah. graphic novel is basically just, you know, sort of a, a, a comic book or, or, or that sort of genre where you have drawings or whatever that go with the text. I was one of those kids before they called them graphic novels, I was one of those kids who used to read the books that had more pictures and drawings and stuff like and, that. And so that's what that is. Yeah. And our listeners can see what happened to you on this and they can make, I mean, maybe it's a good idea. These are going away because they see, they, they see how you turned out. Uh, another book on the list that we're going to talk about with Lainey here in just a moment is the Bible. So let's get to our guest here. Lainey Hawes is a mother of four, four children who mm-hmm. are in Keller ISD. She is outspoken and she has, uh, really made her thoughts known on this issue and she joins us right now uh to talk about it we'll just dive right in with you uh laney thanks so much for for being with us here uh boy some things have been going on uh in keller man have they yeah you're you're just gonna finish my sentence here because you know where we're going here jason didn't get a question now but laney dive into it what's going on i well i mean it's been going on for a while i would say the last few days have really ramped up uh, we've got we've got a school board here in Keller ISD 
a new school board that, that came in in May. We had three new members elected to the school board. And with the three of them, they were, including one other who was already on the school board, they were backed financially by uh, Patriot Mobile Action, which is a political action committee that decided to come into North Texas. Um, they have a goal to bring Christian conservative values back into schools. And uh, they decided they were going to pump over a million dollars into North Texas to uh, get the candidates that they wanted elected to school boards. So they did it. They were successful. Um, and, and primarily the focus there is um, they're concerned mainly about LGBTQ issues and racism and specifically CRT. Yeah, which you everybody has heard by now, critical race theory. I think a lot of people either don't know what that is or they think it's a lot of things that, that perhaps yes. uh, it, it might not exactly be. Um, but those are the two big things that they focus in on. And they're going after the books. Um, and, and, yes. and so talk a little bit about what has happened. Yeah. So um, last spring, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of a lot of conservative outlets released, including Matt Krause. He released he's a uh, Texas representative. He released a, a list of, I think, 800 plus books that you should be looking for in your children's schools that promote gender ideology, CRT that are, you know, that that he he calls pornographic. So, you know, I, that's not I don't call them pornographic, but that's what he's calling them. He encouraged parents to take this list of books and to go online to their children's school district library catalogs and check this list against the catalogs and then to one by one pull the books and uh, challenge them and challenge them and ask them to be removed from the school district. So it started at Keller. Um, the noise was made. A handful of parents went through and they just started challenging book after book after book. The district said, OK, we got this. We got this. We have us. We have a system in place. We have a system in place. Uh, if you don't agree with a book that's on the shelves, you can submit it to be challenged. And we will create a committee that discusses the book, discusses the merits of the book. And we will decide whether that book needs to be pulled from the shelves um, entirely or if it just needs to be pulled from, say, middle school shelves. You and know, you ended up on high school shelves. And you yes. ended up on that committee. Yes, I did. So what happened was they opened it up to the public. Any parent or community member or teacher, librarian, administrator or staff member could enter a pool to be drawn upon to get one of these committees. I put my name in the mix and um, I actually ended up being on two committees. There were quite a few over over the spring, maybe 40. I'm not sure. Um, and I was called up to be on the review committee for the Diary of Anne Frank, the graphic novel mm. adaptation. So they sent us a copy of the book. They sent it to my house. We got to, or I went and picked it up and they asked us to read it a few weeks in advance. And when I first got the book, I was like, this has to be, this can't be real. This has to be a joke. The, the, you know, the diary, but maybe there's something that I'm unaware of going on here. So I read the book and I went to the committee and we showed up. Um, the parent or the community member who challenges the book is invited to attend, the to be a member on the challenge committee and to talk about their concerns with the book. This parent or community member didn't show up. So they weren't hmm. there to defend their so position. So we, we don't, don't know, know exactly. what their so we don't know what their beef was with this book. And and for anybody who's unfamiliar, because we know that you know as as time goes on, uh, some of us lose uh, some of our history. We 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 lose sight right. of what has happened in history. Uh, Anne Frank, for anyone who you know kind of recalls that name, but they're not sure. Uh, she uh, was a, a Jewish girl. Her diary about her family's uh, hiding during the German occupation, the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, uh, is considered or has been considered for a long time to be classic literature. This was an adaptation uh, of her, uh, you know, diary that you diary. read through, and you and 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 you said that you know the committee looked at this. Everybody read the book. And it was unanimous that, yeah, this it should was, still stay on the shelves. Yeah. In fact, we did a little research and to make sure that every word in the book was from her diaries. We, we made clear that because mm. we wanted to know, where, did they take artistic license? What's going on here? What happened? Every word in the her diary, in the, in the graphic novel version, is her words. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that, so I'm 40 years old. Um, so people in my age group, if you read the diary of Anne Frank as a child, you read an abridged version. Hmm. Since we read the book, um, the Anne Frank Foundation and her father, I believe, Otto Frank, have released the unabridged version of her diary. Ah, there okay. were portions of that in the graphic novel adaptation. And as we discussed the book, we're pretty sure that that is what the concern was. Um, and I can share some of those. One of them was she she talks about like her developing body 
And she talks about wondering what her genitalia looked like, right? As a girl, she's like, I can't see down there. I don't know what I have. And she describes ultimately her vagina in detail, hmm. um, right? So that's that's a page. And then at one point in the book, she talks about um, the, the uh, crushes she's had. You know, who does she have a crush on? She even mentions in the book, she thinks she, she could be attracted to girls. She doesn't know. So I'm assuming that those and those were things that were not in the version of the diary of Anne Frank that I read as a child. I, I, you know, I acknowledge that. Um, but this these are her words. This, you know, this isn't this wasn't thrown in. Right? We have people who are making accusations. Oh, these these passages were thrown in by the woke liberal mob who's trying to indoctrinate our children. They're trying to change history. No, this this is history. This is her story. In fact, it was censored up until this point. Um, and, and this may be a version of Anne Frank that makes you comfortable. And you may be now realizing that this person that you considered a hero might be a little bit different than you. I don't know. And that's kind of been an interesting topic of conversation as we had it in that, in that book challenge committee as, you know, as we look at heroes and we look at historical figures and we look at, at their stories and things like that. But yeah, we unanimously voted to put the book on shelves. In fact, one of the really neat things that one of the librarians brought up and I was able to participate and talk about was there's been a rise of popularity of graphic novels. I don't know if you're any of you are parents to teenagers or tweenagers or middle schoolers. Graphic novels are making, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's a comeback. I guess they used to be like comic books, but graphic novels are widely popular right now mm. for kids. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the librarians brought up the fact that for the first time ever, some of these stories are now accessible to, to kids who are afraid of reading or to kids who have dyslexia, mm. to kids who hate kids who hate to read. And she talked about why it was so important. We put this graphic novel and we keep it on the shelves. And I have a daughter with dyslexia and she loves graphic novels. And I don't believe the Diary of Anne Frank is approachable to her in its whole form. L but the graphic L novel adaptation is. Lenny, let's back up here um, and talk about why you wanted to be on these committees. Oh, absolutely. I've got four children in color schools, right? They range from first grade to ninth grade. Um, and we have learned in our home, my husband and I, as we raise and teach our children, that there's a lot going on in the world, right? Our children have access to so much more information than we ever had. Uh, and it's a little bit terrifying sometimes. But we have found the greatest opportunities we have had to teach our children about topics that may be sensitive or or foreign or difficult has been in books. When we have a topic we want to talk to our young children about, we read them children's books. We go we go online and we look, you know, we look up books. Hey, let's read them this one and then let's talk about it. My older kids, they don't care what we say. They're teenagers. They don't mm. like us, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but if I can sneak a book in their path and get them to like you learn a lot because they don't listen to me anymore. We're done. We're past that. It's over. They might come back in 10 years, but for now, you know, they don't care. So well, yeah, I'm a parent who's desperately interested in my ch children learning about the world and about life and about people and compassion and history. Yeah. Hmm. Considering all of that and, and the way that you might push a book in front of your teenager's path or you might pull out another book to discuss with your younger children, how many people do you think are actually going to public school libraries to check out a book? How many people are, are actually being affected by this? Not not very many. In fact, you can you can even um, contact the school district. They'll tell you how many times these books have been checked out. But I'll tell you what, they're getting a lot more attention now and they're getting read by a yeah. lot more people. <laughs> I mean, when, when I, I was in school, when I was in school four years, five years ago now, when I was in high school. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. um, uh, you know, the, the library is where you'd go to get homework done that you, you didn't get done or check out a book for a report. But not many people were in there just like perusing to see what they could read that weekend. I mean, they were they would find a book somewhere else if they were interested in. Well, and these kids now too have access to the internet. They're hardly picking up books. That's and what we want. And yes. yeah, and, and Epic, the the app, and plenty of other reading apps. There's all kinds of stuff. That's right. Out there. Wait. So, so yeah, if no, if that's the case, though, if that's the case, though, there will be people on the other side who go, well, then let them go find that stuff elsewhere. They shouldn't be checking this stuff out at school, and it doesn't really affect that many people if we take these things off the shelf. What is the danger, though, in your estimation of taking? things like the, the Anne Frank uh, book off the shelf. And for that my, uh, matter, taking the Bible off the shelf, that was another one that was contested right. that ended up being pulled back off the shelves. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's dangerous for a number of reasons because it, it sets a precedent that 
that the values and the opinions of the current school board are going to dictate the every bit of educate every bit of access the kids in our school district have and and that's scary right um we have so many different kids in our district different different races different backgrounds different family histories different stories di- different everything and and these kids need to see themselves represented in literature and a lot of them don't aren't getting it at home they might have two parents that work and they never actually get weekend trips to the library right like my kids are lucky that they have us that we love to read and we get, we take them on weekend trips to the library um books are the entry to the world they're the entry to learning and growing and and they need that access and i really am especially worried about some of these kids because it's more than just the diary of anne frank right this wasn't the only book there is a whole slew of books 40 at this point the number will probably grow we know that this book this list that was put out was 800 titles i'm deeply concerned about the anti lgbtq bias and the anti like racial bias in these in these titles and in the perspectives of our current board it makes me very nervous laney how did we get here I mean, fear, I guess. I, I I think a lot of it is a panic. I think a lot of it is fear. I'm really bothered that they're bringing these culture wars to our schools, right? Like, let's have, let's have these conversations. I want to have these hard conversations with parents. I want to have them with the community, but not at my children's elementary school, right? Mm. Not in my children's library. Let, let them go to school and choose books and, and come to their own conclusions. Well, it, okay. and it seems to me, and, and you can see this on the ground there in Keller, that the other side is is clearly organized. They're able to get people out to run for office. They're able to get people out to vote for those candidates for office. What recourse yeah. do people like you who are concerned about this actually have? Well, so this is, this is something a lot of us parents, there are a group of us that are get growing, growing even more over the last few weeks that have been talking about this. One of our big concerns is that we don't have millions of dollars. We don't have a giant pack behind us. Um, we also don't have the powerful motivator that fear is, right? So that's part of why this was so successful is it was so fear-based. Um, the campaign for these school boards, our, our mailboxes were just chock full of flyers warning us that our children were going to be made guilty they be made to feel guilty for being white. They told us that boys were going to come destroy our girls' sports teams by playing sports. Um, they told us that, you know, woke politics was entering our schools. Our children would be indoctrinated. They would be, they would be force-fed gender ideology theory and critical race theory. So we have all this fear. At this point, as parents, we're just trying to draw a little bit of light and say, look what's going on. We need everybody to wake up and start voting in school board elections. But but if, the, if, the if fear is that, if, Lenny, if fear is that powerful of a motivator and the other side knows that it works and it's highly successful, what recourse do you really have? Because you, you right? don't have anything like that that's gonna drive people to the polls. Well, yeah, and that's why right now we're just trying to make a lot of noise, right? Like that's what we're doing, that we're tweeting, we're going to school board meetings, we're talking to people on the streets, we are, it's, it feels like we're up against an impossible battle. The reality is school board elections are not sexy elections, right? right. It's not the presidential election. It's not the Senate election. Right. We had about 10% of the electorate, 10% show up to vote in the school board election in May. All right. Mm-hmm. So 90% of the community that's registered to vote stayed home. Okay. Mm-hmm. 100% of extremists voted. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so and, here and- we are. And that's it. So, so that's so that therein lies the challenge. Uh, you have these school board races, uh, you know, they're, they're usually called sleepers. It's, it's something that people are not paying close attention to, even though the more local an election is, the more it the actually more. touches your life. Yes. But but people don't traditionally think that way. They go out, they vote for president. They you know, they maybe don't even fill out the ballot all the way down to the end. So how do you rattle people's cages? You guys have been going door to door. I know that Uh, I've seen it said that this parent group that you're a part of is uh, sort of trying to make school board meetings boring again, (laughs) or you're trying to make school boards (laughs) boring again. In other words, to not make it so contentious where we're all at each other's throats. When you're going door to door, are you encountering people who go, oh, I don't know anything about school board elections. I haven't really paid attention to that. I don't usually vote in that. And by the time you're done 
chewing on them, they go, oh, my gosh, I need to vote in the next school board election. One hundred percent. They absolutely are saying I had no idea this was going on. And even this Patriot Mobile Group that, that funded the candidates that they just put on our school board, they just had They've an won 11 out of 11 times, too. I yeah. know. Uh, yes. They just bragged about it at CPAC in Dallas. They were interviewed by Steve Bannon. And they talked about how they're taking over North Texas school boards. Right. So they talked about they realize that all their power is at the local the local level. So they're going to go take over school boards. We got to get that message out. But, yeah, we've been telling people and they're shocked. Um, but, the, you, Jason, you asked the golden question. How how do we get people to realize this? Well, here I am. I'm telling you, I'm yelling. You know, somebody yesterday online said to me, well, what do you you know? All I'm hearing is all of this craziness. Tell me, like, what do you really feel about these books? And I shared this like moderate like answer of, you know, hey, not all books are for all children. I recognize I don't want pornography in schools. I think we should have really important, you know, conversations about this. And she's like, well, why didn't you say that? You know, all this yelling just turns everybody off. And I was like, I've been saying it for a year. I have been at every school board meeting. I have spoken at every school board meeting. I have been knocking on doors. And it wasn't until I kind of threw a fit and went viral on Twitter I had I said to her, but now I have your attention. So yeah. now let's have a conversation. You gotta I'm be here. Loud then. You do. And so it's that yeah. it's finding that balance. And I I want to be reasonable. I don't I I lean left. I don't need to take that to my children's school, right? Hmm. I don't need to take my politics into the school board meetings. I just want them to go and learn, right? Then we're not all going to agree. I've learned. I have parent, there are parents who think I don't want my children to learn this. Right. Okay, well then let's talk about it then you need to, our, our, our district has a policy. You can submit a, a list of books that you don't want your children to ever have access to and you don't want them to ever check out. They will put your, chi- they will put your child on that list. Your child can never check these books out. Hmm. But that's Lenny, not enough. Lenny, how does this end? I mean, the, it ends that we just keep working and we keep fighting and we hope that, that we get enough people to continue to vote that we make school board meetings boring again. Hmm. That's, you know, I mean, that's that's the goal, right? So, so the whole thing is here that these these groups that you were a part of, looking over these books uh, that included a lot of different members of the community. There, uh, you all, uh, you know, major determinations. But then this year, forty one of those books that had been put back on school shelves in Keller ISD have been pulled back off now uh, because the school board, which has these new editions that were funded um, by this super PAC. Um, uh, has said yes. that, you know, they've got a new system now for this. And, you know, they have backing for that because the governor earlier this year uh, created this this rule, uh, this standard uh, where school board members or someone appointed by them have the power to accept or reject any materials. So now these school board members will have the power to sort of be the gatekeepers as to what yeah. appears and what and- doesn't appear. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Part of what's really frustrating is there was a system in place for the school board that we had last spring. We had a school board last spring and they created a system and and we as parents participated in that system. They had book challenge committees that they created. We participated in those. And then the new school board came in and said, oh, by the way, all that work you did that was according to policy that was codified in district policy. We don't like your conclusions. We're now going to overturn every decision that was made by all of these parents, teachers, and administrators in a fair and legal way. We're now going to overturn all of them, and we are now going to re-review these books according to our rubrics and our new standards. M- meanwhile, not, not, not far away, not also in North Texas, the Grapevine Colleyville ISD has just put out uh, information saying uh, that they are uh, postponing book fairs. Uh, they wanted to continue, oh. and they say, but they weren't sure that the vendor is able to meet the expectations and requirements when it comes to documentation of the materials that so, would be available at the book fairs. Um, our school board already had that conversation at our last school board meeting, and there's a good chance that they won't allow. Um, well, they said we will not. We would just won't simply won't accept um, vendors who won't follow our rules. They already said that, so we're on we're on the same path. You know, what's interesting is when this election happened in May and we realized what happened in these four school districts in North Texas, Mansfield, Grapevine, Colleyville, Carroll and Keller, the 11 candidates that were funded by the super PAC, um, we realized, oh, they're all coordinating together against us. So it's time for us to all coordinate against them. So I'm part of a group in Keller, a group of parents working really hard to to do this. There's also a similar group in Mansfield and a similar group in Grapevine Colleyville and a similar group in Southlake. Um, and we have banded together 
So now we have like a group of in, of representatives from each school district, and we're working hard at 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 com- combating this together. And and luckily, as a team, I think we can be a little bit more successful, right? Because we're not doing all the same work. We're bringing all of our resources together. Lainey, you're going to sound like you're a million miles away, though, to somebody who's in another corner of this state, thinking, well, you know, that's their fight there. What do you say to parents who are or voters who are in in other places that aren't necessarily seeing this on the ground where they are? It's on its way. We already know it's on its way. In fact, we've started warning school districts nearby there. There's already been there's already a planning meeting in the next few weeks for Northwest ISD parents who want to bring in conservative candidates. Um, So I'm here to say it's on its way to the rest of Texas and, and to the rest of the country. I mean, that's the plan. Patriot Mobile Action, they they publicly have admitted that it's not a secret. Uh, it's, They're it's on their a, way to, to get as far as they right. can. Now, the Republican National Committee says it wa- it is, it doesn't want to, it is funding school board races. The RNC in D.C., which normally handles, you know, uh, national races, but they're going down to the granular level and doing that. Well, too. Jason, that but, said, though, isn't this, I mean, is there blame here for the Democratic Party, Laney, for not uh, yeah. keeping up? Well, and I'm going to blame, too, the voters for not mm-hmm. showing up to vote. But yeah, absolutely. You know, somebody on Twitter yesterday on one of my tweets said, how do you Texans keep letting this happen? Why do you keep electing these people to your school boards? And I and I I, there were so many tweets, but I actually responded to him. And I said, I have a question for you. Did you vote in your last school board election? And he responded and he's like, well, I live in Connecticut, so I didn't. But I don't have to. I don't have to worry about it. And I said, that's how it happened. So when you decide to research and go vote, so all these people think it's not going to happen here. So they don't vote. So, yeah, I mean, I blame I blame the moderate voters who and it was me. I'm not going to say that. Well, I, I'm a pretty good voter. Most of my life I have voted. I, you know, I got my degree in political science. I've worked. I worked on multiple political campaigns. I worked for a U.S. senator. Right. Like I've I've. I'm involved, but who'd you work for, Lainey? Who did you work for? I worked. I worked for um, Bob Bennett. He was a Utah senator. Yeah. He was a Republican. He was a well, Republican. Well, yeah. that leads um, to my I'm, that leads to my last question. Then, since you have all this experience and a degree in political science, have you ever thought about running for office, running for school board? Uh, uh, yeah, I think about it here and there. Right now, I have four fairly young children, um, and a few a few like part time jobs and. So it, it's it's something that could happen. I don't know. For now, I'm happy to be very actively involved at the grassroots level. Lainey, before we let you go here, I have one more for you. So we're talking about books right now. Um, what is your level of concern that this eventually goes beyond just what's on the library shelves when we have uh, packs and super packs? Uh, you know, let's say the other side joins and we've got super packs battling it out for school board positions uh, that are highly funded. What is your concern beyond books as we go forward? Oh, my concern is for public education in general. Absolutely, that they try and decimate public education and we privatize it. I think that public education is one of the greatest accomplishments of the United States of America. I think it's it's a gift to all children in this country. I think it 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 has the potential to be one of the great equalizers. And I think that when we bring super PACs from any direction, at any side into it, um, we are at risk of losing of, of losing it, which, which and our children, I mean, how cliche and ridiculous is this? But our children are our future. Like we, Let's not play this out. At this, I'm, I'm worried for the future of public education. I, yeah. Like I said, I believe it is one of the greatest accomplishments of the United States. And, and, and yeah, you said, you know, it, it could be one of the great equalizers. It's been proven to be the great equalizer. And, and on the other side of that, too, the, uh, you know, the far right has made no secret that they want to get rid of public education and replace that with vouchers, which the state legislature will will no doubt consider when they return in in January too. So that that is in the crosshairs for I think it's important to note I think it's important to note that this this the Texas state constitution actually does talk about public schools. Like Mm. it it is to a degree they are somewhat protected and we need to remember that that they are codified in our constitution. You've done more research on this than we have. Oh, I, I feel have embarrassed right now here. L- Lainey, you were fantastic. Thanks for uh, thanks for your your energy on yeah. anything. But but this this was fun, and we appreciate you laying it out for us. All right, thank you. You let me know if you need anything else. All right, so uh, Lainey Hall is there in Keller ISD saying it's coming. It's coming to you. It's coming to your school district as well. If you haven't already experienced this and, and, you know, 
She's probably right, uh, because, again, uh, Republicans have made this a priority uh, to get in those school district races and to be successful. And so far, they have been quite successful here in Texas. And Wheeler, the biggest thing I, I say all the time, elections have consequences. They do. They and have they consequences. Matter. And, they, and they matter. And people who vote all the way down the ballot, those are the ones who are deciding how the rest of us live. Well, and I think Laney has a great point there. You know, however you feel about this, if you love what's going on in districts like hers right now, then uh, congratulations to you if you voted to make that happen. Yeah, if you don't love it and you didn't vote, you know, that's on you, too. I absolutely. mean, it's ultimately we all have responsibilities as citizens in a, in a democracy here uh, to go in and cast a ballot if we want things to be a certain way. May not always prevail, right. but at least you're in the process. And we did reach so, out to, yeah, to, to yeah. other board members too, Wheeler. Yeah, we did. You know, we're talking about these three board members who were funded by this very conservative, you know, Christian super PAC. Um, and, uh, you know, none of them, you know, uh, agreed to be on the program here with us. We always like to hear all the viewpoints, obviously. Uh, that invitation is still open if they'd like to come in. Uh, one of them did tell us that they were busy with other duties, you know, with the school board and with their own children. And so we extended the invitation out and said, OK, well, you know, when you become less busy and we know that that's hard to do as a parent and a school board member right now, uh, when you do become less busy, we'd love to hear from you about this because, you know, right. it's enlightening to hear uh, viewpoints from all sides here. But, Jason, I know that we do have another viewpoint on this, someone who has been very involved. In fact, uh, Laney just referred to him a couple of moments ago uh, in putting out this sort of master list of books here in Texas uh, that he has a problem with. He is a Republican state rep from Fort Worth. His name is Matt Krause. Uh, he is also the uh, chairman of the General Investigating Committee in the Texas House. And you spoke with him about this very issue. Mr. Chairman, it's uh, it's good to see you again. I, I, let's start with Keller. I've read Anne Frank. I, I read uh, the Bible as well, too. These are two books being pulled for review in Keller. Why do you think parents there are questioning these two works specifically for for, gener for future generations to read? Well, I think you saw Keller ISD was kind of ground zero for a while on this whole debate uh, on uh, inappropriate books, which books should be on the shelves, whether it was their school board meetings, whether it was their school board elections that they just had in May. Uh, this was a topic of conversation the entire time. And so I think you started seeing a bunch of these books being pulled off. And so some folks thought, well, OK, if you're going to try to take some of the books that we like off, we'll, we'll challenge the Bible. It's got some uh, adult content in there. So uh, we're going to do that. And so I I think that's what became a bit. Somebody was just saying, okay, if you're going to try to take books from our side, maybe we'll try to take some books from your side. And now you've got a new school board, right? They had a turnover in May. Uh, you had three conservative school board members elected. Because of that, you now have a new school board president. And I think they're trying to make good on their campaign promises of revising some of these uh, book policies. And so they did that in August. And now uh, we're starting to see some of those books come through that review process. And my, uh, I, I have no doubts that the Bible will be back on the shelves in Keller ISD uh, schools pretty soon. They're just going through that new process. If it's kind of devolved into this tit for tat on both sides, have you had pause at all to think maybe that maybe this isn't a good idea? I think it's always a good idea to ensure that the books that are in the libraries and bookshelves in your schools are appropriate, age appropriate. And as you and I have talked about, what's appropriate in a Keller ISD high school may not be appropriate in a Keller ISD middle school. So I think you always have those conversations. I think they're constructive. You're right. It's, it's a shame uh, when you're comparing uh, the Bible, the greatest selling book of all time, which includes the greatest story of all time, the redemption of man through the death, burial and resurrection of Christ with some of these young adult uh, titles like gender queer or long boy. I think then it shows that it's not a very serious conversation at that point because nobody equates those two things. But but, but let's say that, you know, that, that, that things change five, 10 years down the road and a whole new board gets elected. Um, you know, the board could decide to, to pull the Bible off the shelves permanently, right? They could. They could. And, and again, and I, as I've talked about uh, time and again, if you look at uh, the initial inquiry we had, we were just asking for an inventory just to see where things were going on. We've always said the power of uh, what should be or should not be in these libraries is up to the local communities. And you're right. Maybe in five, 10 years, Keller ISD, the parents, the taxpayers, the school board, the superintendent all decide this shouldn't be in our libraries. 
that should be up there uh, up for them to decide. I have to think if you started doing that with the Bible and Keller ISD, there'd be a lot of pushback really quick as we're seeing. But local communities should be able to decide that uh, whether I agree with it or not. That's where that power should reside. You mentioned the inquiry. You're, you're chairman of the House's General Investigating Committee. Uh, you, you leave office in January. But, but do you expect your successors are going to continue the inquiry into these 850 books that you were asked about uh, being an inventory? I, I would not pretend to presume uh, what the next chairman of the General Investigating Committee uh, will do. Uh, it could be somebody who thinks it was a good idea, somebody who thinks the inquiry was a bad idea. My guess is he or she will have their uh, own thoughts and own set of priorities and what they want to do with that committee. So uh, that will be entirely up to him or her. But uh, so I, I, I can't speak to that either way. Is the inquiry still underway? Well, and, and as you and I have talked about uh, numerous times, we don't comment uh, on uh, pending or potential investigations, uh, which inquiries are, are put in to, to lead to those. So w- we don't comment on that. But I, I will say I think the focus has shifted from anything the General Investigating Committee has done to parents and school board elections and school board uh, positions all across the state, which is where I think that that conversation needs to be had. And so uh, I think we've seen a a positive uh, response out of that in that it's generated a lot of conversation. And I think it's led to a lot of positive effects, whether it's been school board elections or other things. And so I think that's been a good thing. You and I know each other for for, for quite a while here, Mr. Chairman. I'm reading between the lines. It sounds like that that, that uh, the ball has moved out of your court and into the other courts here. It doesn't sound like the inquiry is, is moving like it was before. Am I reading that right? Well, and, and again, you're right. We have known each other for a long time, and I've always appreciated uh, your approach and, and how you do things. Again, we don't comment on the specifics right. of it, but uh, I think that uh, it's a good thing that we're having these conversations, whether it's the governor, whether it's other fellow lawmakers like Jared Patterson has done a lot in Frisco ISD. But most importantly, you know, the Houston Chronicle came out with an article that said, really, this book review process can be traced back to one GOP politician talking about me in this book inquiry, which I could not disagree with more. We were one small part of that whole conversation. Parents and school districts have been having these conversations long before and long after anything that we had done. So it's not up to us. It's not up to the lawmakers. It's to the parents, the taxpayers, and the school board members uh, in each of these localities and the principals and superintendents and administrators. That's where this uh, debate has been taking place, will continue to take place. It's much bigger than any one uh, politician. There, there are a lot of folks who say the, the existing review policies we've had in place at, at, you know, at school districts across the state uh, have, have worked just fine. Do, do you, why do you think it's time to upend so many of these? Well, maybe a lot of them are. Going back to Keller ISD, if you remember in those school board elections just in May, a lot of those candidates ran on, we need to revise the policies. We need to do something different on our book uh, policies. So I think if you run on that to get into office, you ought to fulfill that campaign obligation, which you're seeing uh, Dr. Charles Rancleave, the school board president, and those new conservative uh, school board members, they're fulfilling those campaign promises that they had made on the campaign trail. If that's happening all over Texas, I think that's a healthy thing. In some other parts, they may say, you know what, our book review process is just fine. Let's leave it the way it's always been. Then that's a great uh, that's a great decision for them. It should be left up to each of those localities on how they're going to handle that. Maybe it's a new policy. Maybe it's not. But I think uh, the people in those school districts uh, have a good pulse on whether something new is needed or not. Considering the Internet, considering tablets and, and all the ways that people can consume information these days, how, how many kids do you think are actually still going to the library in their school to check out a book? Well, according to the uproar, we've heard from all the school librarians on how we're censoring their jobs and not allowing them to do their jobs. You would think it's voluminous uh, and every day. Um, you're right. I think technology does play a part in that. And some of these books can be checked out online as well, right? Uh, there's online databases where students can access some of these books. So, you know, a lot of the responses I get is, are you naive to think if they don't check out this book here, they can't find any kind of inappropriate material out on the internet or place like that? Absolutely. I to- totally agree with that. They can do that. They can do that in their home. They can do that in other places. But I think we should all be able to agree that our school should be a place that has age-appropriate material for the school that you're in, for the grade that you're in. And that's what we're trying to get to. Uh, we understand with technology, it can be good and bad. You can find all kinds of information and material anywhere you want. But in our schools, that's where we should have those guardrails on and make sure there's not uh, age-inappropriate materials uh, in our elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. 
And as Republicans know know so well, and, and Democrats are learning, I think, uh, elections have consequences, regardless of which office it is. But but let me ask you this, speaking of that statement right there, how do you expect the legislature might address this when they reconvene in January? Address oh, library good, books. That, that's a great question. Because um, there's that balance there, right? You want to make sure that those localities have the autonomy and the freedom to make the decisions that are best for them. Keller ISD is different than Northwest ISD. Northwest ISD is different than Eagle Mountain Saginaw ISD, which are all within uh, HD 93, along with Arlington ISD. So they're all going to have different views. So you want to make sure you continue to allow for that autonomy and community uh, input. Uh, but I do think the legislature will take a look at it at maybe some guiding standards, some guiding principles on what you should do. And then the particulars will be uh, addressed by the individual school districts. But uh, I'm out of a lot of those conversations at this point. But um, I, I think you'll see some movement on it, but I don't know exactly what definite route uh, it's going to take. And along these same lines, Republicans are, again, pushing hard for, for school vouchers, which you and I have discussed before. So, so parents can use you know public tax money to send their children to uh, a private school of their choice. But if, if let's say, you know, that were to get farther down the tracks as well, too, what kind of oversight w- would people really have for private schools? Yeah, well, I, I think the same kind of oversight they have now on private schools and homeschools, which isn't a lot, which is why a lot of uh, individuals say, hey, I want to put my kid in private school or I want to homeschool. I think there's people on the other side of the conversation say, I want to make sure Texas ever does go to a school choice model. The government doesn't have a say in what we're doing at our private school or what we're doing in our homeschool. So uh, that that's definitely a fast to argument. But I think you trust the parents at that point. Uh, the money falls to parents. I know Arizona just had uh, a robust school choice bill that they passed where now those educational dollars, uh, the parent can send them where they go. Uh, and, and I think you allow the parents to make the right decision for them. And if those private schools are doing the job that they're supposed to do, people will want to keep going there. There's a reason that a lot of these private schools have waiting lists and uh, people are clamoring to get into that because they do a good job even without the government oversight. A few last questions for you. The other side calls this subjective censorship. Agree or disagree? Uh, Well, I disagree to the effect that there are some of these books, and you and I have talked about some of these books that have graphic uh, illustrations of sexual acts and other things that I think we can all agree this may not be appropriate for kids in our schools, especially some of the younger kids. And so at that point, I don't think it's subjective. Other times, you're right. What, what's allowed in Houston ISD may not be what's allowed in Midland ISD. But I don't think the subjectivity is wrong there. I think if everybody's taking a look at to it with some fresh eyes to see if, whether that's appropriate in their school district or not. Again, a lot of people have gone back to, well, all the books on my inquiry list seem to have to deal with uh, race or sexuality, which I go back to. Those are the two issues that the uh, legislature addressed last session. So that's the reason we wanted to have the inventory of those books. So if the if the legislature talks on something else this uh, this next session, there could be somebody who wants an inventory of uh, books of that nature as well. And so I don't think it's subjective censorship. I think it's just getting to making sure we have the right materials and the age appropriate materials in our libraries and our, our bookshelves at school. Here's something else I'm hearing, too, from the other side. They say that, you know, my, my fifth grader, or my ninth grader, uh, or even my third grader has First Amendment rights and, you know, should be able to, to be exposed to what they want. What do you think about that? Well, you know what? They spend a lot of time in that house with that parent and they are more than welcome to expose them to any ideas, uh, whether I agree with them or not. But I think we can all agree that at school, a, cert- a school a, a student certainly doesn't lose his or her First Amendment rights when they go into a schoolhouse store. In fact, that's the way you and I initially met. I was representing a, a, a individual a student who was having his free speech rights impinged upon. And so I would never say you don't have First Amendment rights, but I do think it is absolutely justifiable, reasonable, and an expectation that the school should only have on its bookshelves content that is suitable for that age appropriateness. Parents can expose their kids to whatever they want to, show them information, check them out books at a a public library or other places. The school is a much different environment and you should not be having uh, sexually explicit or inappropriate materials in those books. Mr. Chairman, you gave up your seat in the Texas legislature to run for the Tarrant County District Attorney's Office. Another Republican uh, narrowly defeated you in the runoff recently. So for the first time in, in what, uh, a decade or so here, you're leaving public office. Are we going to see Matt Krause's name on a ballot again in the future? 
I, you know, the door's always open. I, I've uh, had such an incredible time serving the people of House District 93 in Texas in the Texas House. I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it was time, as you and I have joked about, my family, no, nobody was happier about the loss on May 24th than the other six people inside the Kraus House. So uh, we're excited for this new phase, but I, I would never close the door to it. I, I love uh, serving the people uh, in my district and uh, I enjoyed the work. And so if an opportunity presents itself, uh, I, I would certainly do that. But I don't feel like I have to be in the office. I don't feel like I have to be uh, on the ballot or uh, or have a title uh, to find ways to, to hopefully make my community better. So uh, that door is absolutely Absolutely open. Uh, if the opportunity presents itself, we'll take it, but it's nothing that we're forcing at this point. That's always good to see you. Thanks. You too, man. Have a great day. So, you know, Matt is, uh, he's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, which is the, uh, you know, farther right group inside the, the house. Matt, here, here's the thing about Matt. I've known Matt before he, since before he was elected as, as he and I just discussed there. And, you know, he's on his way out since he uh, gave up his seat to run for Tarrant County district attorney. And he lost that Republican runoff as well, too. You're, you're going to see Matt again in the future. And for the number of Republicans who, you know, who have certain beliefs, who don't want to speak to us or speak to other people, I'd never put Matt in that category. Matt always yeah. answers the phone. He's always respectful. We're always respectful to at least understand the other side. You got to understand. You got to understand each other if yeah. if we're going to move forward. Matt Matt is one of the good guys in that sense, in my yeah. opinion, and I always appreciate him taking that call. He yeah, will we don't do have enough else. of that. You know, we, we I, I think we don't have enough of that. And, and it's a mutual uh, respect, it, Wheeler. You know, that's that's what it is at the end of the day. Well, you know, and Lainey talked about that, too, just about like, hey, I'm wa- I'm ready to have this conversation. Absolutely. I just don't want to have it yeah. at the school in front of the kids. But let's have these conversations. Let's understand where each yep. other is coming from here, uh, because how do you function as a, a as an open society, as a democracy, if we can't even understand what the other side is saying? Uh, and so, yep. again, that invitation uh, to the the pack that put these uh, school board members again, they're 11 out of 11 in North Texas right now this uh, conservative pack, that invitation remains open just to, you know, get the viewpoints, to hear what's going on, what they're doing, why they're doing it. At, at the end of the day, Wheeler, uh, Laney was exactly right. This is coming to your school district if it's not already there. Yeah. And, and it's simply because what we said at the beginning of the podcast, Republicans have prioritized school board races in this state, in this yeah. country. They are funding them. They're organizing around them. They are, they're, they're going to, to, to you know, run those offices because mm-hmm. they're already having success at it right now. Elections yep. have consequences at the end of the day. So if you're going, if you're all for it, go out and vote to, to yeah. make it more of a thing. If you are all against it, go out and vote to try to, to stop this and to counter this. But you know, whatever you do, the, the bottom line is be involved, be educated and get out there and vote. And, and since you'll see her before I do again, tell Mrs. Wheeler that the, uh, <laughs> the, the strawberry cider here was fantastic, and and she can she can deliver a few more over here too if she doesn't mind. I didn't. I don't know that I'll see her before you do. I didn't realize <laughs> that you guys had this whole partnership going on. That's interesting. Uh, all right, uh, I, I like the cool box too. I, I'm I'm a fan of it. it. The sour works for me. You have sweet. I have sour today. It's yeah, kind of fitting, that's, right? That's, that's kind of normal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody once again for listening to us. Tell your friends and family members too as well, and be sure to subscribe so you get these every time they drop. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we will talk again next week. 